Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Talon Talk. I'm Isabella. And I'm Hannah. And today we talked to a couple of cool cats that we know, just, you know, around the CB campus. Yeah, we did. So we talked to Miss Kenny, who is an English teacher here at CB, and her very exciting life here. She's so dramatic and adventurous, and she always has something going on, something fun. And then we talked to Elise Ledesma, a writer of The Talent, about her new article that just came out, Senior Bucket List. So basically, seniors and their bucket list. All right, and now we are here with Talent Feature article. We're here with Elise Ledesma. How are you doing today? Good, hey, Elise. thank you. <laughs> so we're going to be talking a little bit about your article that you just wrote, mm-hmm. which is... It's CB Bucket List, and I just wrote it a couple weeks ago, so yeah. Um, I basically featured kind of, it's about more seniors and kind of about how they've gone through the past four years and kind of understanding like, or just learning like, wow, there's some things that I haven't done yet or some teachers I've gotten close to or just some things that I want to do as the year ends because it's our last year here. And you know, there's some things that you just wish you could do one more time or do that you've never done before. So what were some of the things? So I talked to a pretty wide range of people you know there's some people who want to go to some events or some people who have gotten close with some teachers so I know like for example I started off with Poppy Ruyak and she actually works at a like cycle spin place outside of the school and it's gotten a lot of girls from CB to go there so obviously that our class and those girls have gotten pretty close just as that is but then on top of that she wants to bring like Mr. Anderson or Mr. Schumann to go with her oh. because it's so fun and I just even great. picturing that would be so funny <laughs> I Anderson. would love to go <laughs> to cycle life with Mr. He's Anderson like, <laughs> the grind doesn't stop yeah. exactly. you just gotta keep going you know exactly. just, just go hard be on, the, be on those bikes he'll be like oh when's that pod coming up no literally <laughs> I don't know he'd be the one listening to a pod no he would while he cycles like going hard to it yeah, yeah. exactly Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. What are some other things? Um, I know I talked to like Connor Christopher. He said that he wanted to do an open mic because I think that a lot of people at CP, I feel like you either know about open mic and you love it and you go to every single one or you haven't been to one before. And yeah. I think that I think that's really cool that some people who have gone and some people who haven't gone kind of can go finally in their senior year because it's so fun. Like I really have, it's probably my favorite CB event, like over any Holy Bowl, over anything. It's so fun because there's so many people there just there supporting their friends. I remember after Kairos, we all went because some of our leaders were performing and it was like, it was the coolest vibe in the room because we were all so happy to be there and just, it was so cool. And I think it'd be cool if more people showed up and, you know, got to experience that. People are really talented. Yeah. I don't think people realize that, but like kids at CB, they're, yeah, and it's more good. than just like singing or something like, like there's people who do poetry there's people that you know do stand up like it's so interesting to see what cb can bring to the table mr anderson when we were first writing this article he asked me like you know what would you want to do you know think about that first before you start asking a bunch of other people and like i just tried to think of things that specifically cater to cb you know because i can always go do something else or i can always put that on my life bucket list but it's my last year at cb so how do i want to spend it or what do i want to do and you know i've taken kbft for the past three years you know that's all i know that's what i'm going into for college like that is all i know i wish i could have gotten better or tried another art class you know ceramics i would have loved to do you know learned how to do bowls and things or just taking even an art class like i am not the best artist but i think it'd be cool to really get into that kind of thing 
Do you think we'll do that in college? I would love to try because I feel like in college we'll have a lot more opportunities to do that. You know, it's not like a class like set here and I'll have time to just kind of experience what I want to do. And so, yeah, I definitely want to try it, even though I'm not the best. Let's be real. I kind of suck at art. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's about it. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Good. What's the article called? It's called CB Bucket List. So, yeah, check it out. Go right. check it out on cbtalon.com. Hey guys, and now we are here with the most wonderful teacher, the lovely Miss Kenny. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, just lovely. (laughs) Just doing great. Glad to hear it. (laughs) So we brought you on here because we wanted to like just talk to you about a couple things because you are a very fun woman. Well, thank you. (laughs) Um, So for those of our uh, listeners who don't know who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, where were you born? Like, what was your life like growing up? Uh, what do you do here at CB? Okay, so um, right now I, I teach English all day, uh, mostly juniors and some freshmen. And I've been here for 19 years. Um, before that, I taught for a few years at Loretto High School. That was in the 90s, before many of our students were even born. And... Um, uh, I'm originally from Chicago, and I went to the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. Um, and uh, let's see, I was uh, I was in ROTC in um, college, and that's how I uh, worked my way through the university. And then I had a career in the Air Force, it was about five years after I graduated from college and was commissioned in the Air Force. And then after that, I was um, spent some time in Europe. Uh, Germany specifically, and and uh, traveling around, and then came back here to Sacramento because it was my first duty station in the Air Force, and I loved Sacramento from the first time really? I laid eyes on it. I just loved Sacramento. Sacramento, out of all the places. Yes. Huh. If you you know if you're if you grow up somewhere else, you can recognize what a jewel of a town this is when you see it. Um, if, you grow, if you're born here, you grow up here, you don't realize how many great amenities Sacramento has for the average person. Um, there's lots of live theater, there's lots of art, lots of visual art opportunities. Um, there's, you're close to the mountains, yet you're close to the coast. You can, you know, it's a day trip to Lots and lots of, of fun and lots of things to do. Uh, even though some of those things aren't in Sacramento, you can easily travel there. So when I got here, and again, it was my first duty station, and I was um, learning to be a navigator in the Air Force, we would fly um, T-37s out of Mather Air Force Base, and we would do these low-level routes over the foothills and so on, and it was and I could see clearly that this place is gorgeous. The place and to be. The place yeah. to be. <laughs> and, um, you know, flying over Lake Tahoe and so forth. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, Lake Tahoe. This is the stuff that I dreamed of as a child to be able to go to, you know, to be able to be close to the Pacific Ocean, to be able to be close to Lake Tahoe, um, to be able to be close to uh, these areas that in the history of the United States are so incredible and so important and significant 
And to me, it was just like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm in the wild west. Here it is. And it's gorgeous. So anyway, that was, that was kind of my, you know, my feeling toward it in the late seventies and early eighties. Um, so what inspired you to join the air force when you were in college in ROTC? Um, it was actually, it was sort of Providence, um, you know, kismet, serendipity, any of those things. I, I knew how I could manage to pay for my first year at the university of Illinois. Um, I had, I had earned that money and while I was in high school, I had, uh, like a couple of different jobs that I held while I was in high school. And so I had enough money for one year and I was a little bit worried, well, how am I going to pay for years two, three, and four? And the college counselor at my high school said, do not worry, you'll figure it out. And coming, walking into a building, uh, actually was coming upstairs from this huge room where we had had um, liberal arts and sciences orientation. I was coming up the stairs and I saw this area, sort of like a lobby area, and the military recruiters for the ROTC program were right there. And I went, ah. Maybe that's, maybe that's the thing that's going to get me through college, that's going to pay for college for me. And sh sure enough, that's what it was. Well, did you know, like, you're a woman. You're a woman. Yes, yes. I did know that, actually, at the time. Um, but I feel like, you know, like, in the military, that was a little, you know, not normal to do that. And what were some of the struggles that you had to deal with? Well, um, so in... So when I first talked to those recruiters, it was 1975. And you're right. Um, most women in the military were nurses or somehow in the medical corps um, in, some, in some way, shape, or form. There were many um, you know, administrative officers. And, and, of course, to go through ROTC, you become an officer. So you, you go in as a second lieutenant. And um, I realized after talking to, the, to these recruiters that the military pays people based on rank rather than whether or not they're male or female. So this was an opportunity and things were done, you know, awards were given by merit rather than, oh, you're a man and you get yeah. these awards. It didn't matter. So I was simply competing with mostly men. Yeah. Were there any other women in your, what would you call it? Like it was a detachment. In ROTC, it was a detachment. There were a few. Um, there were a few other women in our uh, Air Force detachment. There were a few women in the Naval detachment and also in the Army detachment. Um, fewer in the Navy, uh, even though the opportunities were very good. Um, yeah, a couple of like I had a friend who was majoring. She was majoring in aeronautical engineering, um, and so that was a, you know, that seemed like a natural progression that she would go into the Air Force um, as an officer. And uh, but basically, the military has they have bases all over the world, and so anything that you can do in civilian life, you can probably do in the military as well. From working in radio and TV. You know, you know yeah. we don't really think of that too much. Yeah. Um, to being an engineer, to being an information officer, to being an intelligence officer, or to, you know, in the Air Force, the big thing is to fly. And so, you know, you can you can do whatever you want in those if you, if you can if you have the aptitude for it. 
Um, of course, testing is, is heavy, and because I tested high in math, then I, I was sort of, you know, you know, sort of went into the navigation field because that's just applied math is all it is. And um, it's just one of those things where the military chooses your specialty code or your profession, your career for you, based on your abilities rather than just about any other sort of judgment. Um, and why did you choose the Air Force over, say, the Navy or the Coast Guard or any other branch? Um, I had never actually even thought about the Coast Guard. And <laughs> quite frankly, yeah, sorry, Bernie. Um, <laughs> uh, it didn't occur to me. And it might be because, you know, I'm from, I'm from Chicago and I don't even think about, you know, Coast Guard. Oh, that's an idea. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I didn't, the, the Navy uh, offered me some, some really interesting opportunities and some like kind, of, kind of fun adventures. In other words, I learned to rappel. Um, oh. like off buildings and stuff you know how you yeah you're repelling oh. using ropes to lower yourself and so I did that with with some of the army uh, uh, trainers and so that was kind of fun and they were trying to say oh you know you could go to air assault school and blah 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 but I, I just I just didn't want to I just didn't want to be in the army yeah and and then when I talked and I was already you know in naval or in Air Force ROTC, and then I did talk to the guys in Naval ROTC and the, the recruiters, and um, the Navy guys, uh, the Navy wanted me to, um, first of all, major in something technical, um, so I had a high, I had, you know, high test scores for math, and they were like, okay, so we want you to take calculus and, and, and physics and this and that, and I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. What was your major? My major, oh, I was a double major, English literature and political science. Oh, okay. And I'm like, I'm not doing the calculus thing. And it's like, well, <laughs> well, we, we want all of our, you know, pilots and navigators to, you know, have, I'm like, uh, flying an airplane? Um, I can, you know, it doesn't really, you don't really <laughs> need calculus to fly an airplane, okay? In other words, flying it is not rocket science. So I, uh, I, just uh, no, I'm not doing that. I was already very busy, and yeah. I was already really into you know the. I couldn't decide between English literature and political science, so I decided to hang on to both of those majors, and that was filling my academic schedule. So I didn't. So, want, I didn't. I lost interest in the Navy because of that. Mm. So how did that work? So you went to college, was an ROTC, and then afterwards did you go? Yes. So um, at our detachment, as soon as we um, received our degrees, our bachelor's degrees, then about um, three or four days later, we were commissioned as officers um, in the Air Force. And uh, and that was great because a general came to the detachment. Um, actually, it was a woman general came to the detachment. Her name was Norma Brown. And she uh, came and... Um, commissioned us and uh, then from there I had to um, move I was that was in um, Champaign-Urbana Illinois and I then I moved out here to Mather um, just a couple of months later and what year did you move to Mather 1979 don't oh. do the math on that <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you I could see the wheels turning in your my, head. Gra my grandpa was there at the same time that you were your grandpa yeah I think I like <laughs> mentioned your last name to him and he's like I kind of remember that name but not like really. 
we were the so the girls the girls yeah the girls um, that were at, in, went through navigator training at that point we were the first girls to come through um, who are not prior service and that means that we we hadn't worked we hadn't been in the military prior to this point so we were taken right out of ROTC and the aviation training had had a few women in it before us, but they were all um, selected very carefully from positions in the military already. And so we were the first ones to go through f from ROTC, and we were selected from Nationwide. So, and there were, in the first group, there was six. And then in the second group, I believe there, was, there were seven and uh, among the hundreds of, of males uh, going through the program at that time back in uh, 1979. Um, so you became a navigator. So what is a navigator, honestly? <laughs> like, let's, you know. At this point, navigators, you know, al almost or almost have been replaced by machines. I mean, yeah. it's like one of the, you know, first rule from Star Wars. Navigators will be replaced by machines. And you know where Luke is, in the, yeah. and he's got the, yeah. He's got the <laughs> guy in the back, yeah. Uh, so so navigators were in charge of, of course, the, the position of the airplane um, and the position of the airplane relative to, well, relative to everything. In other words, the location, your location in the air, um, that was the responsibility of the navigator. So the route of flight the mission planning for that route of flight, um, everything that was needed to know for that route uh, was is based on the navigator. Uh, I was in KC-135 refueling tankers, which means we did the in-air refueling of other airplanes. So we would do that, you know, at 30-something thousand feet, and um, the navigator directed the rendezvous, which would bring the receiver in to a position to be refueled uh, by us so that we could offload our fuel to the receiver. And so basically that's what the navigator did in that environment. Um, in fighters, it's, it's quite a bit different. In bombers, it's different. Uh, but that's what the navigator did in, in the uh, KC-135 refueling tanker. Ooh, seems like a busy job, wild. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. We, we used to kid around because... The pilots, you know, they were real busy during takeoff and landing. Yeah. And the navigator is busy from, you know, wheels up to wheels down. It was, the navigator is just. The grind doesn't stop. The grind doesn't stop. And it's math. <laughs> it's it's math, it's math in your head the whole time. Yeah. So, Ugh. yeah. It was math. Ugh, it was not my, you know, it was <laughs> like, uh, I'm glad that I did it. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't have actually. I mean, like, I I wouldn't have actually chosen that. I wouldn't, like, yeah. oh, yeah, what's your idea of a good time? Oh, yeah, doing thousands of math problems <laughs> for 10 hours. No, I don't think, you know. Yeah. But it was, it gave me experiences that I would never have had uh, otherwise, and I'm, and I'm so grateful. Did you travel anywhere cool, like, out of America? Um, well, England, um, and well, we flew over lots of places. <laughs> you know, yes, they used to have a joke, um, you know, join the Air Force and see the world from five miles up. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was, that's what a lot. So, you know, we went to England and, um, and uh, Germany and 
you know, thing, places like that. But that was that was about it. And then all over the U.S., all over. Well, see your own beautiful country <laughs> from five miles up. <laughs> um, so you're not in the military anymore. No. I mean, you're a teacher. How do you go from being, you know, a hardcore navigator to a, a hardcore teacher? <laughs> <laughs> Am I a hardcore teacher? <laughs> Miss, <laughs> Missy, really? Um, uh, let's see. So when I was in high school, um, the college counselor said um, to me, have you ever thought about teaching? And I said, no, not really. And then the assistant principal, who was filling in for the principal at that time, said, um, oh, you're going to go to U of I, which it was you know, the big university in downstate. And he said, you know, you really ought to come back and teach when you, you, know, when you're, when you get through there. And so it was those, those two adults said something to me about teaching, but I wasn't actually considering it uh, because I felt that it was, it was an, an expectation for women. Oh, you're a smart woman, so you're going to become a teacher or you're going to become a nurse. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I didn't necessarily want to be put in a, a stereotypical oh, I didn't want to be put in a box exactly yeah, yeah that's exa- a great way to say it yeah. is that I didn't want to be put in a box I wanted to, to to do something I wanted to do needn't be teaching at that point and at also at that point teaching salaries and nurses salaries were low because these were female-dominated fields, and therefore, oh, you don't need to make as much money because you can get married. Uh, what? Uh, <laughs> 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 what? <laughs> okay, what? That's, you know, shouldn't have anything to do with it. Are you okay with being a teacher now? Do you like it? Well, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, I like the classroom. You know I like yeah. the classroom. Um, it's fun. It, um, and and as I always say, you know, with with my friends, so many friends on this faculty, I can't even tell you, you know, I ask, yeah, yeah, teaching at a high school, it keeps us immature. I mean, young. (laughs) (laughs) And it does, you know, it's, it is, it's a, it's a great job. It's a great job. Every moment in the classroom is good, even when Mm -hmm. things aren't you know, necessarily going that well. It's still good. And you you learn so much. Teachers learn so much. But how did you get there? How did I get there? Well, I had the degrees, so yeah. that was that was there. That's um, a plus, you know. Sorry. Yeah. I was um I was self employed as a real estate agent. And um uh yeah, really? when I so when I first when I got back to the US in nineteen eighty six, I went into real estate and why real estate why um I was married at the time and I thought about teaching but teachers made very little money at that time in 1986 teachers made 
very little. And so I, w- I went into real estate. It was okay. It was a, it was a job. It was a job. It was a hard job, a lot of work. You never got a day off. Um, and then I, and then after I got divorced, I was single and self-employed because real estate agents are basically self-employed. I realized that that was a precarious position because um, I, I then I didn't have I didn't have good um, health care insurance health insurance because I was self-employed. The r- real estate agents at that time didn't uh, have any ability to. Uh, buy into a like a group sort of health care plan and so on and that was put me in a very uh, precarious position because by then I had three children no oh. by then I had I just I don't know I had two children then <laughs> wait yeah How did I have a third one? you had children I had children yeah. I had yeah. kids yeah <laughs> and I needed to take care of them I felt like I had no safety net it's not like being in the military it's not like working for a large corporation where you have some safety nets if you get sick. And um, I, ha- I had been very, very successful in the mid-90s. And I had, so I had some money. And a I, working I, woman. And I got I sick. I love a working woman. Yeah. And so I got sick and I couldn't work for about five months. And I thought, um, I, I, you know, this is too scary. Because I wasn't bringing any income yeah. in mm-hmm. while I was sick. And I said, I can't, I'm not going to do this anymore. So I started to um, sub uh, public schools. Around here? Um, in Sacramento, yes. Yeah. And right then, I was, and I used to, I was a mem- uh, member of um, St. Ignatius Parish. Okay, yeah. And because I had friends there and whatnot, I was going to be in the, in, uh, the cabaret. They had a show, and they used to do a show in the spring. Oh, theater. And, well, yeah. yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> And that's where I met a woman named um, Susanna. Susanna. And she worked at Loretto. Her name is now Susanna Nelson. She was the campus minister here for many years. Oh, okay. But um, I met Susanna, and she said, and she was teaching at Loretto. And she said, I have to take students to Ashland, and I really need a sub. And I was like driving her home from rehearsal, right? Yeah. And I said, wait, you need a sub? She's like, yeah. Is it for next week? She said, yeah, I need a sub for the whole week because I'm taking students to Ashland, Oregon to the Shakespeare Festival. Here's my file. Here you go. You, here, it, here was, you go. it was like in the back of your car. And you're like, yeah. here. <laughs> I handed it to her. Okay, take that, you know. And I went there and I subbed there and that was it. Meant to be. Yeah. 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 It was, so again, it was like, just like the whole ROTC thing. It was like Providence. You were just meant to be a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And then I came here in 2000 and this was... Yeah. That's weird to think 2000 was 19 years ago. It is weird yeah. to think that 2000 was 19 years ago. To me, it's just like six years ago. I wasn't even born in 2000, but still. Yeah. Me, it's like, <laughs> like, you are so cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just, you know, doesn't seem that far away. What did you do when you came here? I, well, I... Well, you first year at Loretto. Yeah, I was at Loretto. But when I got here, I was able to do, um, I was able to do three things. I was able to do the theater, extracurricular. Um, With Miss Christensen? She was a student. She yeah. Was, she was a senior. Yeah, did you teach her? And I was, she was really into it. And at, let's see, after school, the first day of school, she came into my classroom and said, and introduced herself, and that was it. 
And it was so, so great. Cute. So, uh, yeah, so I got to do theater extracurricular, and then I was teaching, um, I was teaching history. History. So I was hired as a history teacher because of poli sci degree. I was teaching history, and then Susanna, and then they got Susanna to teach uh, the one drama class because she came with me from Loretta. Yeah. We yeah. came at the same time. <laughs> and she was working in campus ministry. And she taught the drama class, and she taught um, some religion classes, I believe. And then um, and I was teaching history, and then she stopped teaching the drama, so then I was teaching history and drama. And then one, uh, one day they said, would you be willing to teach one English class? Oh, my. Because we see that you did that, too. And then it was two, and then it was four, and then it was five. So, yeah. And so. look at where you are now. <laughs> <laughs> Grading freshman papers. Grading freshman papers. And juniors. Oh, and juniors, yeah. 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 I haven't yeah. started the junior papers yet, though, so let's not talk about it. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll keep a little rough. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Mm, do you mind if I backtrack a little bit? Were you part of any wars when you were in the, um, the Air Force? No. Um, I graduated from high school in uh, June of 1975. And so you know from last year, Ms. Walsh, that um, <laughs> that uh, Saigon fell yeah. in... 60, 75. 75, 75. I knew that. I totally... Okay. I probably did. Let's, so, probably yeah, did. So, so late spring... Uh, Saigon fell, and so that was essentially yeah, that marked the end of of, um, of the U.S. involvement in, in the Vietnam War, and so we call it the fall of Saigon. And so I was going into ROTC in the aftermath of you know massive protests, massive unrest in the country, um, and I just had this idea that it was probably a good time to go in because everything was sort of up in the air. So I just had this idea. Yeah, I'm going to I want to do this and then worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I remember in our class we talked a lot about um the Kennedys. Mm-hmm. And you talked about the day that Bobby Kennedy died. Yeah. And how that was like that had a huge impact on you. Yes. Can you that, talk a little bit about that? Um, so he died uh, like a couple of days before my um, 11th birthday. And so this may sound sound weird, but we, in my family, uh, we, we talked about, you know, the news was always on. We talked about things and so on. Uh, my parents were not, not always in agreement on things politically. And... Uh, it was it was a time my sister was 10 years older than me so that had a huge effect on me and and sort of knowing a lot of stuff about what was going on before kids my age did yeah. because mm-hmm. of because my sister you know when i was 11 my sister was almost 21 yeah you were educated yes yeah and um when we heard the news that um that Bobby Kennedy was shot in Los Angeles. And I was, of course, in Chicago. And, and it, I thought to myself, well, of course he'll live. God won't let him die. 
because I thought um, I thought about his mother. Yes, and I thought she can't go through another tragedy. Her life had been so filled with tragedy with regard to her children. I thought, well, no, he won't. He's going to live. He's going to live. When I woke up in the morning, I learned that he was dead. Over the next few days, I came to a, a realization. I think being, being a child, I changed from being a child to then being an adolescent, moving into a young adulthood. I thought, God isn't Santa. God doesn't give us things. God doesn't do. The humans have to do. That's a big realization yeah. for like an 11 year old <laughs> to have. I think that's something like very interesting because I, I feel like that kind of characterizes that whole generation of growing up with the Vietnam War and the Pentagon Papers and all of that. Like I personally, I love Bobby Kennedy. Like he's such a great historical figure for me. And it's just so interesting that just like one event like that can like the assassination of Bobby Kennedy and some civil rights activists and JFK like that completely changes a generation. Do you think that inspired you in any way to maybe start thinking about joining ROTC? Um, I, I didn't, you know, t I didn't really think about joining ROTC. In other words, it was, it just sort of happened, mm -hmm. which is, it's very interesting. That's you know, how, how things in life are. And I, I love the fact that you, you brought this up about Bobby Kennedy. MLK was assassinated and immediately RFK was assassinated in the weeks following. That changed the trajectory of the United States. Those two assassinations had such a, an enormous effect on the United States. It affects you today, sitting here, these decades later. People in my generation and people who are just a little bit older than me, I know that they think about this too yeah. uh, on, on a regular basis. It's, you know, for the baby boomers... This is this was the pivotal moment when 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 Bobby Kennedy was killed was a pivotal moment. And it was a pivotal moment in my life, you know, not only politically but spiritually, in that I went from having a child's view of God, and I know some I know many adults who have a child's view of God and have never had to really work through this idea that, you know, it's that the humans are being tested here. Where are, where are we going to go as a species is, is in question every day. And every day people have a decision to make about where they're going to go with their life and what they're going to do in their life. And that what you're going to do has a spiritual connection, it has a political connection, and, you know, and, and it's just so important you know, it's, it's this, these important thoughts. At an early age, I was thinking about things, and I'm, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I was able to do that. I'm glad I had the opportunity to do that. Because sometimes today, I don't want to see young people who allow other people's thoughts to influence their thoughts. Mm -hmm. You know, I just try to get students to think for themselves and use their own conscience, use their own will, use their own experiences 
to shape what they think about things. And I think that overall, that's what your generation is doing, in spite of the distractions. There are, there are just so many more distractions out there that become obstacles in your path. And, and I, I see that your struggle is to clear the obstacles in front of you and yeah. to try to discern what, what is it that's coming at me right now. Um, and I think it was, I think it was a little more clear, you know, back in, in the 1970s. Um, there wasn't, there was more time to mull things over. I think that's interesting how there's one event, I feel like, once every generation or so that really changes the political dynamic. Also, recent events in our own politics that have totally affected, you can see there's like soaring rates of people who are majoring in political science, young people who with no political experience getting into the field. And I just think that's super interesting how it uh, completely affects a generation. And like it's just, and especially like the differences with like technology and how we're going to navigate that in the future. You know, how will we act politically going forward? And I think that, that of course, one year ago was the Parkland shootings. Yeah. And I think that that is a seminal moment for you they became mm-hmm. adults yeah that yeah. was their that was their moment of clarity yeah and it's like oh no 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 the grown-ups are screwing this up so yeah <laughs> so we're gonna that have was, to yeah i think it's also to, a pivotal yeah. pivotal moment for like all of us too because i think yeah. we realize like you know like this isn't we're not kids anymore you know like mm-hmm. this is happening right. i mean it's happening to kids but like we're being affected by it in an adult way you yes. know so yeah you grow up in a place that it's supposed to be an environment for growing and for like a safe environment. And I still think that school is a great, like obviously it's still like very safe, but um, like you can just see that it affects everyone. Just that one shooting. Like we have all the doors are locked now during classes and we, we have more um, lockdown drills now. And I think that's good. Like that it helps keep us safe, but it's just like, it's completely changed changed our high school. Well, you start having to think about, why? Mm-hmm. So, in other words, of course, you know, Ms. Kenny and her why questions, right? Don't you oh, just hate them? <laughs> um, but it's, yeah. it's not, it's, it's, you know, why are our doors locked? Why are there more gates here than there ever were? And why do we need all these safety precautions? So what your generation has to deal with is, why is it like this? Okay, yes, we do need these things in place, but why? Yeah. And then you have to go to the root of why that is. And you have to, and then you have to take the action, because for my generation, for the baby boomers, you know, too often we're still the ones, you know, marching down the with the signs. You know, one of my neighbors, he's always got the signs, you know, going. Uh, it's, it's so cute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it's, you know, the baby boomers have to. We got to hand this over, man. And you're going to have to figure out how, how does how does political organization work in 2019? Because it's totally different yeah. um, from, from the way it was when I was your age. It Do you is think it's different. easier now or it's going to be harder? Or? Um, I, think that, I think that when I was young, um, bodies in the street was a real statement. Uh, and I'm not... And I'm not sure, I don't know if that's the way to go or not. It's, 
there's so much electronic noise that I fear that voices can be drowned out in this time of, of um, you know, social media and um, all of these all of these different types of media that we're surrounded by. So how do you make your voice heard? And I think that Parkland, the Parkland students have made their voices heard. They have to keep it up. You have to really think about and, and then be willing to get involved in. It's easy to get pulled off task. I was talking to the juniors about multitasking, the myth of multitasking. You know that when you're multitasking, you're doing more than one thing not very well. I, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that fact has to be faced. So I'm really, you know, I'm really interested in this issue. Well, what are you going to do about it? Well, you know, I've got this and I've got that and I've got this and I've got that. I've got all these things I have to do. I'm too busy. We all feel completely bowled over by our busyness. And that's one way to, that's one way to control the masses, isn't it? Mm-hmm. To keep them so busy. They can't question anything. Read some dystopian lit. I'm in it right now. (laughs) There you go. You know, you can, you can make people so busy that they can't, they can't protest. Yeah. They can't question and they end up not being able to think. Follow Mariah Bellingit, CB class of 03 on Twitter. She's, uh, she's the education reporter for the Washington Post. Really? Yes. Mariah Bellingit. I follow her on Twitter. Oh, ooh! <laughs> did you teach her? I did. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow! Well, you have a, you, you know you a celebrity. Have, you have <laughs> you have a, a lot of you know alums out there who are really in it, and they're yeah. they're they've gone out and they've done amazing things, and and they're out there doing the doing the hard work. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you this, so much. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, you're the best. That was fun. <laughs> I had a great time. <laughs> and that was our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Isabella, what's on your bucket list? My bucket list? Probably go to at least one track meet because I'd never gone and I know a lot of people on track. So I probably should go and support them even though sports aren't my thing. What about you, Hannah? What's on your bucket list? Well, our CB softball squad is really good this year and I'm really excited about it. So we're hoping to win a league championship. So, but we're mostly focused on just doing our best and making memories, making memories, putting our best effort in. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. Yep. Preach. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Talent Talk. I'm Isabella. And I'm Hannah.